Hello and welcome to the Liberty Hour of Informed Choice Washington brought to you, or Informed Choice Washington and Informed Life Radio. Sorry about that. Um, brought to you by Informed Choice Washington, um, as we like to call it, ICWA, I-C-W-A. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. Um, hopefully you found us on, on Rumble and, or if not on Rumble, any second now on Rumble and on Twitter. Um, the last hour, the health hour was fantastic with Zen Honeycutt, Moms Across America. If you missed it, please go back later and, and watch the recording of that interview and visit the website. She, Moms Across America and these programs they put together are so empowering. Things you can do every single day in your life to take charge of your, of your health. And then some of the things that Zen brought up, we're so excited in this hour um, we may be finding places to address systemically, legislatively. So um, I want to bring on Javier uh, Figueroa is back with us. Hello, Javier. So hopefully we get to keep seeing your, hey, seeing your mug in the snowstorm that you're hanging in there. <laughs> and um, we're trying to get that um, that link to Bob and Nathan's on that for us. So I believe he should be back with us very soon. Excellent. Um, let's see. Oh, let me go ahead and get the business out of the way. So the views expressed are not necessarily those of KKNW or Informed Choice Washington. Uh, we're just having great conversation, uh, free civil discussion on this free speech platform that we so value. If you value free speech on the air, especially in here in uh, in Washington state, uh, please consider joining Informed Choice Washington and maybe popping in a little something like a little monthly recurrent donation to keep this show on the air. Um, Bob, we've been, uh, he found us again. We've been on the air in Washington a uh, couple of, three years now. I need to go back and check the date. We're probably hitting uh Four years. I'll have to see if we hit a milestone. I mean, we'll do a big celebration or something to, <laughs> to celebrate how long we've been on the air and people have been listening to me babble. I do, to, to our devoted listeners have been listening for a long time. Thank you for sticking with me. I'm not a professional at this. I do tend to talk a lot. I do tend to talk and not give people an edge in. <laughs> I'm trying to be better about that. And I will this hour. I promise I'm going to do better. So, Bob, you provided the link. I'm going to start there to the there's a um, Bill Track 50 is this online program that you, people can sign up for free. You don't have to get the paid one that allows you wherever you are in your whatever state you're in to keep track of the bills that are important to you. So I want to share with everybody. This was last year. Some of the we're in a biennium in Washington state. <clears throat> so if a bill um, did not die last year, it is still potentially there and available uh, to come back and haunt us um, this next session. So do you want me to kind of just scroll through here? And are there any bills in particular you would like to highlight that um, people in Washington state um, might want to follow? Yeah, I sure do, Bernadette. I have some highlights that we could focus on this list okay. we have here called bill track 50 is you know one that we programmed to screen all the 
I think they had over 1,700 bills in total, House and Senate, filed oh in our state God. last year. Wow. So yeah, we need a tool like this. A lot mm -hmm. of states use tools like this to help focus on the bills that their agencies, their groups, their organizations follow. Mm -hmm. So Bill Track 50 is what we chose to use. It's on our website. You can go to informchoicewa.org, click on the first tab for laws, and you can click through and find this list. And uh, yeah, so we have about, uh, what is it, 28 total bills that we're following out of those 17, 1800. Mm -hmm. uh, like you said, that uh, if these didn't pass last session, they could be reintroduced and go through the process again in our biennium, a two-year mm -hmm. period. And uh, January 8th uh, is the initial day for session. And so there will be meetings before that. They start next week. The caucuses start to meet next week. All mm -hmm. your senators and representatives are going to start meeting next week to discuss strategies, caucus bills, caucus uh, initiatives. And, and they'll look at what you found, Bernadette. They'll look at these legislative agendas from the various stakeholder mm -hmm. groups that they've, they've worked with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So there, there are some friendly bills in here, too. You know, we could brace ourselves for bills that uh, are unfriendly, mm -hmm. things that would uh, tend to restrict your rights more. But there are some friendly bills in here that I, I think we should focus on or highlight as well. Okay. So do you want to call them out as I scroll down? Like, um, where do you, where would you like to start? Well, one, one that um, comes to mind and actually got a lot of play in a recent county meeting where county councilors, county commissioners are reaching out to their state legislators is HB 1535. Okay. We'll go down there to the 15, 1535. Well, 50, there it is. Okay. If I click on it, do I, I'll see more. There yeah. we go. So this is increasing legislative. Uh, if you scroll to the right a little bit, I can just read it off the screen. There we go. Increasing legislative participation, I think is how they phrased it. It sounds really soft. There we go. Legislative involvement in gubernatorial proclamations during a state of emergency. So this is the whole concept of limiting governor powers mm. during of emergency mm -hmm. as most of our listeners will recognize many states, especially Washington, let the governors, you know, declare states of emergency without end. And there were no checks and balances in place. Mm -hmm. Proclamations could be issued by the governor. Very amazing position to be in at that time because states of emergency break down barriers, open up access to things they wouldn't otherwise have. But at the same time, it's restricting rights. Right? Mm -hmm. It's basically in our state, and I think uh, you know quite a few others, it was violating constitutional principles. And, and as I'm reminded, our constitution was written for times such as emergencies. Yes. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we shouldn't be throwing our constitution to the side, especially for a debatable, uh, uh, you know, yeah. not clear cut, Emergency. We gave it, you know, a lot of us probably gave the pandemic a week, a month, let some numbers play out. Is this real? Is this not? Is this the, the zombie apocalypse? Is it not? Well, it was not a zombie apocalypse. In fact, if you recall early in the pandemic, even Anthony Fauci wrote a paper with Robert Redfield of the CDC that this, this uh, pandemic, this uh, novel coronavirus could end up being much more like a seasonal flu. Mm -hmm. And there's some numbers, if you look at the, the whole scope of infection fatality rates, it's very akin to a flu. Exactly. I like yeah. to say that. 
Exactly. So uh, what would you like to look at next? Yeah. Well, in general, just uh, supporting this one, this bill, if you scroll okay. to the right again, HB 1535, it's interesting. There were a couple bills that are trying to limit governor powers in states of emergency. This one Oops. has many, many sponsors. Hold on. I, there's a Republican, unfortunately, it's all Republicans that have sponsored to... this bill. 1535 you're talking about? 1535 still. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just, so again, if you scroll to the right, there's a very yeah. long list of all the Republican sponsors. Oh, there are. I see. Okay, there good. Go. Yeah, scroll to the right and then okay. you can scroll down. It's a long list. So that's why it's taking up all your screen. Yeah, and I'm, I'm uh, just surprised why some Democrats don't jump on board because the moment that a Republican governor comes on board, I'm sure they'd like to have that ability as well. Yeah. If there's uh, ever, a, you know, a, an opposition party leader in the governor's seat where they're declaring an emergency. Yeah, that'd and be interesting. We would the Republicans take it off the table immediately. We have bipartisan support. I do see a Democrat. That's good. Oh, okay. Here's another one, and another one, and another one. This is very good. It's got. Um... Wait, no, you. I think oh wait, wait. The next bills. Oh well, that, wait, 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 wait. Bills, yeah. I, I scrolled down too far. I apologize. Okay. Yeah, those I'm would be the bills we generally screen. oppose when you see a D. Okay, <laughs> I'm. It, it's sad to say because it is sad to say. It should be common any sense. Good, any good legislation um, that supports medical freedom, informed consent, in the Constitution. You're right. There are no D's on there. I had scrolled over too far on my screen. It's um, it's tough. I, it, it, it's kind of tough to see. Yeah, well, that's good. You're expanding it for people to see who who can watch us online. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out though how to unexpand because it's not. Just click on time. the next line. Click on another bill, and then it will collapse that one and expand the uh, next one. So if you oh, want okay. to click on 1545. All right. And where did it go? It jumped right. up top a little bit. Sorry. Okay. Sorry it's not the easiest thing to, to um, show. Here we go. And so this one prohibits institutions of higher learning, like colleges, from imposing vaccine ma mandates for online-only students. Oh, this okay. was a, a an attempt to get that uh, vaccine mandate more rational. Mm -hmm. I still wouldn't necessarily want to put a lot of effort into this one though, if you want me to provide my editorial comments, because I, I don't think it goes far enough. It does. For just online students? No, it should yeah. be for all students. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Especially, I think this was of course written in the context of COVID-19, but uh, this one does talk about, uh, I think all vaccines. Good. And again, it should also be if you're that worried about getting infected or becoming sick, you have the online option. Now that that's available, it's you know you can decide mm -hmm. at that point. But don't don't enforce a, a violation of bodily integrity. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, very good. Okay, let's see. Here is uh, a bill that would remove minor consent laws be, by requiring parental consent. This one. Looks I wanted to talk about that next. Sixteen oh one. Mm -hmm. Okay. As well as 1788, they seem to be written in the same way. Okay. Yeah, but I think that 1601 reads a little better. Okay. And these were filed last year. So um, these are there just waiting for what movement within a committee? Did 1601 um, even, was it even heard by the committee where it was placed? And clicking through it, uh, did not make committee. It simply got read into the Civil Rights and Judiciary Committee. Okay. And it sits there awaiting uh, the chair's call to be heard. 
So it's, it's there either awaiting a call or death, because if it doesn't get called forward this session, then it dies because all bills die after two years, which is a good thing. Can you imagine if, if they could just live forever? That would oh, be good. Yeah. God, yeah. You Zombie know, bills that just yeah. don't die. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I love to see that even in Washington state, you know, the um, people are not giving up that rights, they're still attempting to file these bills to protect parental rights, um, even though it's really an uphill battle. But the tide will turn and by gum, uh, draft legislation will be available. Um, uh, so 1610, this one says Informed Choice Washington helped draft this bipartisan bill that will help the DOH's New Year's resolution. Let's read that one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is a good one. There we go. So House Bill 1610, Bob. Well, so this is mostly a, a two-part bill, one that just basically asks the Department of Health to speak the truth, mm -hmm. and it constrains them, constrains the Department of Health from saying anything that a pharmaceutical manufacturer can't say. This doesn't even necessarily constrain itself to vaccines, this bill. This is one that says any pharmaceutical product that has other constraints on its marketing language as limited and prescribed by the FDA, those FDA approval and EUA and emergency use authorization documents are fairly explicit in terms of what they mm -hmm. can and can't say. And so if we could just hold the Department of Health to that, we wouldn't have had all the marketing money being spent by our DOH to yes. promote these shots. And they still are. It's just so much budget. Yes. And it it holds the, the public health entities in uh, the state of Washington to the public consumer protection laws. So treating the promotion and marketing of drugs, vaccines, and medical devices as if they are being sold, whether or not they're selling them or not. But um, the public health entities have such strong outreach, they can, they can be in any, just about every citizen's email um, yes. box. They've got the budget for putting up billboards. They can get on the evening news. They Their reach is massive. So their influence of, is massive. Even more reason why they need to be held to the same level of standard as the manufacturers as far as what they say um, about product because they have that great influence. And I'm, I'm quite pleased to say that um, a similar version of this bill is um, is coming to Tennessee. Good. So we are very excited uh, about it. And um, yeah, so this is what what has surprised me in both states that and uh, Bob, you, you've had this experience last year, I believe when you were walking around in Olympia with it, they're like, well, you mean it's not already the law? What do you mean? What do you mean they can already they can say things that the that Pfizer can't say? They're, they're quite surprised and alarmed and then annoyed. <laughs> what? You know, why are they allowed to do that? Well, well, and, and we would have actually wanted to file a bill like this even before the pandemic. But yes. I think the pandemic now and the response and the way the government behaved and the CDC was able mm -hmm. to just create its recommendations that flowed everywhere without yeah. any science that it, it just laid that bare. It laid that yeah. bare. I think there should be more uh, sympathy and empathy with this kind of yeah. a vote. In fact, this is notable because we do have a bipartisan yeah. support on this HB 1610. That is, 
that's really exciting, that's isn't to it? To get bipartisan support, because I truly do think that if public health is to be uh, trust in public health is to be restored, they're going to have to get comfortable with where they're not comfortable and haven't been for decades. And that's speaking full truth. And I don't know why they're quite so afraid about speaking full truth on certain things such as vaccines, because we know the American public can be bombarded with messaging that says if you take this product, you might go blind. You know, you might end up growing a third arm or you might die, right. but do it because it'll make you have more fun playing with your grandkids and people will go buy this product. So I, you know, I don't think that by telling the truth, they're in as much danger of, of losing uptake as they fear, um, but they might gain some trust of the American public and, yeah. you know, our taxpayer dollars really needs to go to trust. Yeah. So um, I want to... Um, before I move on to some of the agendas of, of various entities in Washington, one more bill we need to talk about. We talked about a couple of good bills, um, but here's one that could come back next year that's you know highly concerning, HB 1333, the Domestic Violent Extremism Commission. Um, so again, I turn to Bob and Liz Javier. Are you familiar enough with this one to talk about it or do you want Bob to? No, I mean we. I think we we talked about it about like almost eight or nine months ago. This this particular bill. So yeah. I'm I'm curious to find out what's what's up on this one. Well, I think the the main point here is HB 1333 on the Domestic Violent Extremism Commission is that it's still alive. It did not die necessarily in last session, and so it could be pushed again. Um, I don't know if you guys saw most recently. In fact, it within the last day and a half, mm -hmm. the Washington State Republican Party has uh, filed a formal complaint against the Secretary of State, who has formed their own kind of uh, extremism censor, surveillance and response commission. And uh, Whoa, say that yeah. again? Yeah, I, I, I can... <laughs> It, I'm, I'm not looking at the wording right now, but this is basically what's taken place. So the chair of the Washington State Republican Party and the head of their election integrity committee have filed a complaint, a formal complaint in the Washington State Board of Ethics, calling out the secretary of state, Hobbs, for running wow. basically uh, an extremism surveillance and response department and hiring with a sole source contract an, an offshore company to go through all of our social media posts and label things as uh, ready for suppression. Um, wow. This, is, this is a mini version of what HB 1333 was promising to set up. That floors me. The, the fact that the Secretary of State would have the audacity to do that is beyond me. That is authoritarian and draconian and in direct yeah. and violation so there's, of privacy. There's a, yeah, sorry. There's a Gateway Pundit article that just uh, got forwarded to us this morning. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and here it is on their the Washington State Republican Party website. Um, you can read about it there. And then, um, yeah, and the Gateway Pundit is, is what. Yeah, so in, so in effect, well. this becomes a, like a test case to see if they could get away with it. But the fact is they, it looks like they were surveilling the head of the Republican party and, and their election integrity director 
Wow. And they've been able to basically find and prove that their messages were suppressed. So this also implies that our government in the state of Washington has backdoors to social media companies. Like, <laughs> this is huge. Just like Missouri v. Biden is uncovering. Just like, um, you know, uh, James wow. O'Keefe. Wow. James O'Keefe has been uncovering. You know, it just makes me so stinking happy that people haven't given up, that finding where bad stuff's happening and putting some sunshine on it and, you know, stopping this. I, yeah, I right. it's yeah. very exciting to me. I'm going to, I'm going to share here. I found the, the gateway um, pundit. Yeah. And, and I don't, I just want to reiterate to, to people that are listening to this. Uh, I voted Democrat all my life. This is not to, to be partisan or, or be pro Republican in any way, but uh, what I'm seeing is, uh, you know, actions being taken by a, a, a political group that is antithetical to the principles that I think most Americans and most people in Washington hold dear, which is you can have your opinion and hate speech, in my opinion, is speech you don't agree with. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah, yeah, and this, this is becoming that free speech test case. Yeah. Again, and and how do we how do you moderate it? How do you not moderate it? But this becomes it looks a lot like the Secretary of State in Washington is protecting their jobs by looking for anything that might go against what they say. It's a disallowing free speech. Disallowing and again, free speech it's also targeting your political opponents. Mm-hmm. I mean, censor, political opponents. Censoring people on the opposition party or any other party, that's targeting your political opponents. Yeah. Mm. Not yeah, we, good. Not good. More wow. Of that come, come to light, and uh, yeah, a little bit disturbing. And I guess remember the the reason that HB thirteen thirty three came to our attention even more was the mm-hmm. fact that it was using anti vax speech as th- things that are extreme and need to be right. quashed. It implied that uh, that parents speaking out at school board meetings for their kids to be unmasked is a reason mm-hmm. to ba- basically be bringing in the national guard and, and calling people domestic violent extremists. Right. So yeah, it's all kind of related right now. It, it is very, very concerning what they're doing, but as the worse it gets, the more people wake up because it's so startling how bad it is. Um, thank you so much for bringing that to our attention there, Bob. I want to move, um, I want to, because it's so important, I want to first go to the uh, legislative agenda uh, of the Washington Academy of Pediatrics. So I don't, you know, I don't know if our listeners, how aware they are of, um, for some reason, I'm not getting it to pull up. Show me, show me. Why won't it share? It's a PDF. Let me let me try this again, peeps. Let's see. Set as default. Is that going to do? Okay. Is it going to show it? Oh, I have to show this. This is just going to be annoying if it doesn't show it. (laughs) We're going to try again one more time. So um, while I fiddle with this, fellas, talk about what Zen Honeycutt was saying about food in the in the health hour because and the the fast foods and the food in schools if you can recall what that was 
think that you did mention that some schools did buy uh, the, the meals from fast food providers and that and the, the fact that the nutritional values and the uh, the uh, the contaminants were higher in some of those cases just doesn't bode well for a lot of these kids. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, it's uh, no, it's it, for developmentally. I mean, this is, a, you know, depending on what age bracket you are, uh, you're really susceptible. And that's just. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I can't get it to uh, to to do what I want it to do. I don't I don't understand why. Help me out here. What I'm going to do, fellas, is I'm going to put the link in the um, in the chat, and, and I'm going to see if we can get uh, Nathan to get it visible for us. Maybe he can do what I cannot do because this is so important to look at the legislative agenda. While we're waiting to see if we can get that pulled up, oh, did you? Oh, wait. Are you on there twice? Did did it pull up there? Oh, what was go. that? Is this this is the uh, the link to the uh, uh, to the Texas legislation? I just oh, okay. uh, yeah, this is kind of doubling back. Or before we get off the call, I did want to uh, highlight this Texas bill, which should uh, serve as a model for all the there other states. Go. Okay, so yeah, see if you can um, go ahead and describe what this Texas bill does. Well, it's not a bill; it's law. Oh, the Texas law that just passed. Oh, this is the one that makes private employers unable to require the code. It's just COVID shot for now. Um, True. Okay. But, but to me, the fact that they were able to do that and, and can do that in their environment to go into a private environment, a private environment, like a workplace mm-hmm. and be able to basically give the rights to the workers back is tremendous. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's no it way is. that you couldn't extend this to any other injection or medical treatment that, that we would, they would try to mandate. And it comes with teeth. Isn't it something like a $250,000 fine if 50, you violate $50, it? $50,000 fine per oh. instance. Per instance. Per instance. So, okay. Yeah, it, would, it would accumulate if you had multiple workers. There we go. Violations. There we go. I like so that's it. Why, I like it. Sorry, I didn't want to. This doesn't flow with you a little bit, but no, that's okay. That I want I want the listeners to know this is what a smart state and a friendly state is doing. We could use this as a aspiration mm-hmm. in our state. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so we'll share that and remind people that um, we put out, Informed Trust Washington puts out, Gerald is our a wonderful drafter of our newsletter, and Bob, you pitch in and help and do some editing and additions there as well. Um, and so when that comes out every week, things that we mention on the show, we do our best to put links in. So you'll be able to find a link to that Texas legislation next week when Substack comes out. Um, but Nathan helped me find that um, the PDF to the um, to the AAP. I'm not quite sure how I'm there able it is. to. It, there it is. But how do I, um, now I don't know how to manipulate it. Who's doing that? <laughs> Oh, me's did. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, um, expand the view and then scroll to where is that? Yeah, if you could make it a little bit bigger. Thanks. That's on page two, I believe. Okay. Yeah, let's let's start at the top because there's a a couple of things. Um, Let's see. So, yeah, so we're going to start with the fact that, just like you said, um, that now the children, 
they want to expand their legislative agenda is to get Washington state government to give free meals to all children, not based on need, because some kids are going hungry, even if their parents can afford to feed them, apparently. Um, and it, I, this is just like, to me, one more area where the school is trying to become the parent and home of the children. We're supposed to be nurturing our children at home. They're supposed to go to school for reading, writing, and arithmetic, not chicken nuggets, you know? And, you know, yes, I do believe hungry children need to be fed. And I believe as a society that we are that, um, that we make sure that no child gets hungry. But so I guess, Bob, if this is going to be their agenda with making sure or trying to expand the food at school, we had better hustle and educate and make sure they're supplying uh, food that is not loaded in glyphosate, heavy metals, contraceptives that we learned from Zen in the last hour. It's uh, contraceptives, contraceptives feed to, um, to chickens that um, makes them infertile. We don't know what it'll do to humans. Um, what else was in there? Glyphosate, pesticides, herbicides. It's just really nasty when they tested all the food. It was like 100% of it. Well, and the high Had. amounts of cadmium too. I remember, this is my little contribution, but 30 years ago, I was in aerospace industry. We were busy taking cadmium out of all the parts we were allowed to work with in mm -hmm. the rocket assembly shop. You know, we had to take all the cadmium metallic coated fasteners and remove mm -hmm. them because we didn't want exposure to cadmium. This is 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And now we're having 10 times the amount right. in our potatoes. Yeah. Know? In our french fries so what the heck is the fda doing and who's testing the food i you know why is it up to independent entities to do this what good are they i mean get rid of them give us their money give the give moms across america the fda all the fda funding and let them do it <laughs> well the, the moment you do that you promote decentralization of food production or at least you, you basically reduce the pass through yeah. Um, and that's, I think, one of the main reasons. Uh, again, if you had several tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of farmers producing mm -hmm. with little uh, regulatory oversight, uh, they would actually do a far better job. Yeah. Small, small independent farmers care about their customers more than large ag agricultural uh, cooperatives yeah. that are, you know, corporatized. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Nathan, if you could scroll down for us, please. There's a couple other uh, key points here. Um, let's stop right there. The update, they want to update the statute governing Washington universal purchase for immunization. This is highly concerning. So their goal is to update the current statute definition of vaccine to make it more inclusive of current and future immunization products. So the definition of vaccine used to be a preparation of killed or attenuated living microorganisms or fraction thereof that upon administration stimulates immunity that protects against disease and is an, an immunization. Now they want to define it. Vaccine means an immunization approved by the Federal Food and Drug Administration as safe and effective and recommended by the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention for Administration to Children Under the Age of 19 Years. So anything the CDC and, and ACIP and FDA decide they want to call a vaccine, 
will now qualify. But you know, we saw they already did a workaround, didn't we, in Bob and Washington State at the last Washington State Vaccine Advisory Committee meeting. The Department of Health um, was very happy to say that the is it the Washington Association, the entity that purchases all the vaccines, does the universal purchase of vaccines in the state? Their vaccines for children program for a program. Well, but everybody buys through them because they get it cheaper. They buy in bulk from the CDC, and even if you're not on that program, everybody buys from them. That they found a workaround within their system, and and they like agreed maybe as a board. I don't know the details. I need to go look it up. I don't remember exactly what they said, but they basically found a way to purchase the, um, what they're calling the RSV vaccine, but it's not a vaccine um, for, for children using that money. But they, the Washington AAP uh, wanted to find vaccine differently. So all of this stuff can be funded. And, you know, the, the really sad truth about human nature is that if, if you don't have to pay for it, you just shrug, oh, what the heck? I'm not paying for it. If you have to pay for something, if you're going to go out and buy a new car, if you're going to go, if you have to go spend $500 on some little treatment and it's out of pocket, you're going to research the heck out of that to make sure that money is well spent and that you're not yes. getting ripped off. But if you're getting it for free from the state, you're like, oh, well, they provide it for free. It must be good. It comes from the government. You know, <laughs> people shut their critical thinking skills off when it comes to that. So yeah, that is very concerning. So I would say that is something we want to, to fight. We do not want the definition of vaccine expanded. As soon as I saw this, Bernadette, thank you for bringing this to my attention too. This this legislative agenda from the American, you know, the the Washington chapter of the American Academy, Academy of Pediatrics, right? Mm -hmm. The WCAAP. You've just defined what I'll be doing for the next three months because <laughs> yeah. this bill could get filed. Yeah, and we're gonna hate it because this. I don't know if you saw this immediately, like I did, but. If you take out from the definition killed or attenuated living microorganisms as part of your preparation mm -hmm. and put it in there as just something that the ACIP advises us to use. As okay. an immunization. Mm -hmm. So the door is wide open for mRNA products. Exactly. And, and mRNA or any of like the current RSV for babies is um, it's an it's immune. Like, it's like an immunoglobulin, an IG. It is an IG. And again, that comes with so many caveats. You have to be so careful with that. It's a human blood product. It is. That's the other thing too. And it's not just a human blood product. Sometimes you can take uh, products produced by say mice or pigs and you go through a humanization process for immunoglobulins, but that carries enormous risks as well. I mm -hmm. mean, all sorts of contaminants, all sorts of immune reactions that you're that no, I mean, why are they changing the definition of vaccine and allowing an external body outside of the state, which is the responsibility of the state to define, by the way, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. to fob off the responsibility to a federal agency or, or a, a, an NGO? That's a responsibility for the legislators to, to deal with, not outside of the state. And the state should be protecting its citizens from federal 
overreaching well, federal mandates and so forth. Yeah. And and so I guess what I what I picture with this is this could put mRNA on trial in committee hearings. Yep. They have to prove that they need to change the definition for something that is good. How good is it? We're going to put it on trial in the committee hearings. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm glad you're going to be hitting this one hard. It is so very important. Uh, so Nathan, don't think you it's can... not in your legislative agenda there in Tennessee either. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll be watching closely as well. Thank you. Yeah. So the AAP really, you know, I mean, it really is a pro pharma organization. They promote Tylenol for children. They promote that obesity drug to children. Um, the COVID shots to six months old um, and Jesus. up. The, um, you know, that it's it's really very concerning. Um, all of the things that the AAP does promote. And so staying on top of them. Oh, the, the thing that's really important here that needs to be dissolved is the public private partnerships. Yes. It's, it, I'm, I'd have it. They rewrote public health section of code in Washington several years ago and changed a lot of the language. So I'm not sure how it's written in exactly now, but the language used to actually tell the secretary of health that he was he was authorized and encouraged to set up public private partnerships and to accept grants from private entities to do this they are encouraged and this is just horrific we've seen how horrific it is when you've got private entities now that are basically running our public health agencies um, it this has got to end. This is this is the sort of nonsense where it ends up with is a, a private entity that's a highly profitable, um, telling the government what to do. Yep. So yeah, let's Again. go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. So it's just basically you know what's 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 the definition of fascism? Mm -hmm. A corporate and the government working mm -hmm. together. That 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 by the fascist who instituted fascism. Mussolini, mm -hmm. that's the definition he gave. And this corp, you know, private public partnership is, I mean, if, if people don't start waking up to the, to the conflicts yeah. of interest mm -hmm. that is inherent in that, it should just be through either, you know, uh, raising, um, uh, raising bonds or taxes mm -hmm. to fund this, going through the private sector to do it is, again, fraught with danger. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so their, their agenda isn't very long, which makes me think they're going to put a whole lot of energy into changing the definition of vaccine. Um, you know, really, this is the way they're going after everybody. So the final one is about uh, gun violence, where they want um, they want to pass legislation to require a permit to purchase a firearm. I guess I don't understand the gun laws in Washington state. I thought that there were permits and rules and regulations, <laughs> a ton of them. Is there not, don't you already need a permit to purchase a firearm in the state of Washington? It depends on where you live as well. Sometimes like within the city limits of Seattle, you do need a permit to carry a firearm. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that, you know, they claim, they say firearm continue to be the number one cause of child death for the third year in a row. Okay, they say one through seventeen-year-olds uh, and one through nineteen-year-olds. Mm -hmm. Well, guess guess where the largest number of gun deaths occurs? The nineteen, fifteen, and nineteen-year-olds, yeah. mm -hmm. and it's all gang-related. These yes. are not 
These are not children finding their parents' firearms and, and shooting, you know, by accident. These, these are gun-related deaths in drug right. deals or gang violence. We, we saw that here in, in Tennessee because there was, a, you know, a violent school shooting that happened a year or so ago. And we saw these numbers put forward. And it's so disingenuous. You know, you need to break down. There's a difference between a child on a psychotropic drug who has hallucinations and suicidal homicidal tendency who goes out and shoots people. There's a huge difference in the in the cause and the driver of than somebody, a kid living in a neighborhood belonging to a street gang and they're doing drive by shootings and and stealing guns and they're all in that criminal element. These are not the same cause solutions here. But when they lump them all together, and especially exactly like you pointed out, Javier, they lump down, they lump all the ages together. So everybody's under the impression that all these little children are just going around shooting each other or shooting their families. And that's not the case. Um, and then as we also heard from Zen Honeycutt in the first hour, when you change a child's diet and you make sure they have enough vitamin B3, it was those B vitamins, the, the, violent criminality goes down. So, you know, how do you address gun violence? You make sure the kids are healthy and their brains aren't so screwed up that they, you know, are having mental health issues. Um, so anyway, I don't really have a personal insights into that, but I think um, that's kind of where they are. And we know that pu public health departments all over and at the uh, national level, they're trying to make gun violence a public health issue. And at first I thought that's ridiculous. But when you realize it is a public health issue because the violence is connected to lack of nutrients, horrible diet, toxicity, and the psychotropic drugs that so many of the kids are put on and that is linked to the violence that is going on. Um, so, yeah, it's a public health crisis that the public health industry and public health agencies have created. <laughs> so let's let's end it. It's not. Well, with, go ahead. I was just going to say that not not to mention all the money that the different agencies like the healthcare agency, um, mm -hmm. they're looking for to increase their behavioral health budgets. Yeah. What kind of money are they looking for for that behavioral health? Mm -hmm. Budget. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is in the other document that HCA, our healthcare authority, yeah, has its own legislative agenda. Isn't wait? Isn't healthcare authority a government agency already? Oh yeah, hold on. Why well, their own pull... legislative agenda? That's beautiful. Yeah, let me pull that one up next, Nathan. Thank you so much for your help. I'll go ahead and pull up now the this one that I think I do have access to. I'll have to figure out on my new computer how to um, see. Is it this one? Yeah. Health HCA, there we go. Um, it's still not pulling it up. That is so frustrating. It's for some reason it's not wanting to pull up any. Uh, uh, let me go to something else real quick that is not a PDF. That one's a PDF. That one's a PDF. That one's not. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and bring you to uh, Department of Health Transformational Plan. Uh, while I work on getting another PDF visit. I apologize. I've never had trouble um, sharing them before, so I'm not sure what's going on at this stage. So we're going to move then to um, 
transformational health. So this is their 22-24 vision. Anytime you look up their agenda, this is what you you end up finding. Um, the main we're getting low on time here. So the main one I wanted, of course, health and wellness includes the same thing. And I tell you, they spend a lot of words saying a whole lot of nothing. You know, no concrete details, just lots of pretty language about we're going to restore and build health. And you know, it it doesn't actually say any things specifically that they intend to do. Um, but this is the concerning one, global and one health. So let's get that to pull up. Global and one health. This is happening at the global level, this term one health, um, at the national level and at the state level. And this is really the program that they began ramping up around 2015 is when I really started recognizing it being implanted at universities and in government um, in state governments. And it's to make the connection between the environment, between supposed climate change, uh, connecting that to epidemics, and a reason why everybody has to um, be surveilled and monitored and fearful and, you know, all of that. <laughs> so here's their key strategies that they're looking for. Let me make that bigger if I can. Um, and again, uh, government is so amazing at saying a whole bunch of nothing. So the vision is all Washingtonians live in ever connected environments that recognize and leverage the intersection of both global and domestic health, as well as the connections of humans, animals, and the environment. On the surface, of course, duh, right? Commitment, we will lead the development and implementation of creative solutions to improve the health and well-being of Washingtonians. It goes blah, 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 blah. Key strategies, incorporate best practices from beyond borders to advance the health and well-being of Washingtonians and communities. Because you see what I mean, guys? I'm saying a whole bunch of nothing. <laughs> We're going to seek resources and funding. We're going to advance timely, culturally, and linguistically respectful health information. We're going to emphasize the complex connections. Now, here's the scary language. Emphasize the complex connections of human health of human, animal, environmental health in our health promotion activities and expand our capacity to prevent, detect, and respond to global, global public health threats with domestic health impact, whether infectious disease or otherwise. Yeah. So thoughts? So if my thoughts are, well, first of all, it looks like the weather got really bad for Javier. Oh, did we lose Javier? Okay. We had to drop off or we'll try again to come back in. Okay. But I am what brings what comes to mind is the World Health Organization and the international health regulations and all of what the WHO is trying to basically put into effect would be the the chance that for in the name of health, mm -hmm. they could have lots of control. It, to me, it's just the pandemic, but formalizing it and giving mm -hmm. this this uh, this hook into controlling our lives through fear and health. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. That's my negative view of all that. But it, it just seems like it's putting together a structure to exploit protections that we should have in our Bill of Rights. Yes, exactly. And it ties together with... Um, the legislation that we're being seen, everything, the attempt to build an infrastructure like House Bill 1333, they want to have a commission 
that will build public health style infrastructure, meaning a, a, something on every corner in every community that watches to see what people are doing to judge their actions, their behavior in order to prevent them becoming extremists. And they want to do the same. Everything is about prevention, you know, it, but it's not prevention through real health. It's not prevention th through looking at the, they, they use the, the pretty words of foundational public health. What is foundational public health? Well, if the citizens of your state do not have adequate levels of all your B vitamins, as we were hearing from Zen Honeycutt in the health hour, and vitamin D and A and zinc. And if they, they have disrupted gut biomes and leaky gut because of the everything that they're being exposed to, if they don't have good health, you, you know, that's, that's what you need to end the violence, to end the epidemic of mental health issues. They push fear of um, fear, fear of climate change, fear it will lead to pandemics. Like, well, we're human beings. Can't we adapt? <laughs> right? Where's the adaptation happening? You know, we managed to survive this long. I think we can do it again without going crazy. But um, it, it's part of the big plan. And, and they're weaving in that infrastructure. And they're going to the schools, Bob. And that's, you know, one by one, they're entering the schools. They're how many schools in Washington state now have health clinics? I'm not going to call them health clinics, medical clinics in their, you know, and the kids don't go down the hall and say, I've got a mental health issue. They're not prescribed vitamin D. They're not getting blood tests done to see what nutrient levels are done. They're not, you know, getting that. If anything, they're being led down the slippery slope of psychotropic drugs. Yeah, to answer your earlier question, though, there are over 50 school-based health centers in Washington, yeah. and I know there are more, and they have yeah. a bill that just got passed where there's a department in uh, Department of Health mm -hmm. that, helps, that helps schools establish more school-based health centers. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the, the well, push is on. But it's, a, of course, you know, what we see there is a way to go around parents' notification for any health procedure. Yeah. The ultimate goal in, you know, like a totalitarian system is the children are not yours. The children go off to this school system that feeds them, that has their medicine, that has their education, that does everything for the child and raises the child up to be this perfect citizen as the government sees them. I mean, this is the plot of every dystopian novel, <laughs> right, ever written. And it's all tied up in beautiful language. Well, we want healthy children and we want to help those who are poor, but you know, that's what I love about like Zen Honeycut solutions because we need to be turning more neighbor to neighbor. If your neighbor's struggling, meet them, get to know them, have that sense of community. Let's, you know, what food do you have to share? What resources do you have to share? Come together as a community. If, to help each other. You, you go to your church, you go to your family, you go to your, your near community. That's where this help belongs. Um, the schools should not be 
boarding schools, a one-stop shop that cuts, basically cuts the parent out of needing to be responsible. Where's the respons- yeah. personal responsibility? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, being able to provide a, a lunch for the student when they go to school, that's yeah. probably not a bad thing. And certainly I wonder how our peanut butter and jellies were on the nutrition scale, according to Zen and got yeah. Well, but, your and mine doctor visits and the convenience factor. Yeah, you know, but has when, its you, points. when you and I were kids, glyphosate wasn't being sprayed on wheat. So mm-hmm. even if we didn't have organic sandwiches, it was a much more wholesome product um, than it is today. It wasn't loaded with those nutrients, and kids didn't have peanut allergies. You could eat peanut butter sandwiches in class without. Oh, people ooh, sorry about like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I didn't mention peanut butter. Yeah, you can't do that now because of the peanut allergy epidemic caused by many factors. But at the top of the list is um, um, is vaccines. And I, I spoke to a um, um, University of Washington class this past week, a, a graduate class in public health. And, um, and I mentioned the fact that, you know, it's vaccinology 101 that some people will respond to the injection of a vaccine, especially with aluminum adjuvant, by developing hypersensitivity reactions, allergies to components of the vaccine, and then maybe other proteins that happen to be conveniently, you know, circulating in a newborn system or a little one system who hasn't figured out friend from foe. And then I asked, um, the professor, I said, is that known within the world of vaccinology that vaccines can induce food allergies? And she said, yes. So I'm like, but you didn't bother to teach this, the, the students this before I brought mm-hmm. it up. They should know this. And we're down to the last uh, few minutes here. Um, you know, I, I want to really Every week now, as we move towards session, Bob, spend this Liberty Hour really focusing on issues like this, bringing things to the public attention. Um, Informed Choice Washington um, members pay for this hour, and let's make sure that they get the information um, that they need um, in order to to be informed citizens and and make their voice heard to support good legislation, oppose legislation they oppose. And um, and start spreading the word. I, th- I think we can do it. Yeah, I hope so. I, we, we can get a little more engagement interaction. We had a lot of engagement interaction last session with yeah. 1833. Yeah, let's uh, build on that. Let's make yeah. sure we're participating in our government. Yeah, yeah. If you're in Washington, spread the word about this show. We're going to be back next Friday with more information that you need to know. Um, you've been listening to the Liberty Hour on uh, Informed Life Radio. We'll see you next week. Thanks, one there. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. 
high above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.